Welcome to SoFlo by Lucas Millar. Lucas's latest collection of 13 short stories, ranging from the gross and silly to heart-wrenching thrillers of cosmic proportions. Join Lucas as he takes you beyond the beaches and shows you the dark side of the Sunshine State. Welcome to SoFlo, a collection of weird Florida horror by Lucas Millar. Available January 14th, 2024. Pre-order now. Brought to you by the Evil Cookie Publishing. We Hello, have... gentlemen. Hello. Oh, they're both wearing ties. Oh, my gosh. Hey. See? <laughs> yeah. <This> Undressed. <laughs> See, I knew I needed to be dressed up for this one. And look at you two bums. Just, you want me to just go get my, you. Want me to go get my glasses on? I mean, you should do something. I mean, <laughs> clearly... <laughs> You didn't get the memo. This was a formal event. I take great pride in wearing formal attire to informal events. <laughs> I, I I always feel like dressing up for a podcast is is just I I can't do it. Like I applaud you guys, like absolutely, but I don't know. Actually, he's lying. Before he came on, he was talking so much shit. Absolutely. <laughs> But are you only dressed nice from the from like the waist up? Is okay. my question. I am so glad that the last meeting I had, <laughs> the guy did not ask that because I was <laughs> I was wearing um flat like pajama like flannel bottoms <laughs> in the last meeting I had, but this time I am not. I actually have pants. Yes. Thank you for proving it. What about Tyler? <laughs> Sorry, I missed all of that. I um, was trying to connect my headphones. You guys could have been talking trash about me, and I never would have known. We weren't. Brennan was. Yeah. We, no, we assumed no. that you had nothing on, like that you 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 were absolutely dressed to impress from the waist up, but below that, oh, yeah. it was a disaster. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's the uh, the mullet. It's the fashion mullet. <laughs> <laughs> Business on top, party on the bottom. All right. I'll tell you, Tyler, for real, like I, I really did have a meeting recently where I was wearing like pajama bottoms with this top. Yeah. And I felt so weird to. about it, but I was like sort of in a rush, you know? And then the honest to God, the whole time I was fearful that someone was be like, hey, Josh, are you also wearing dress pants? And I would have just been like, I would have pretend to freeze. I would have been like, <laughs> for like five minutes. <laughs> then you found it also sort of liberating, right? Like <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But but I <laughs> but I, 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 I was a little bit like ashamed of myself. I'm like, come on, you couldn't take it one extra second. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's an odd thrill to it. Like, you know, <laughs> I look for the, everybody thinks I'm professional and they, they, they will never know. The thrilling things I'm hiding are on the other side of this computer. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything you don't want to talk about um, at all on here? You know, like maybe like books. Is it okay if we don't? <laughs> sure. A little booked sure. out, man. I mean, no, yeah. We, we can just change the entire format of the show. It's no longer about books. It's now about circus animals. Josh, you know, since... I'm all for circus animals right now. So, Josh, since you were the first guest we ever had on, where both our wives called us dorks for being so excited and fanboying over you, like you were the first guest we did that over. Yeah, we'll wow. we'll, we'll change the entire format for you, buddy. <laughs> I have been I have been watching Planet Earth three, so I am in an animal <laughs> movie, and there were elephants. Speaking of circus animals, is isn't that more Morgan Freeman? Isn't he the narrator? No, 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 no. This is oh, the amazing Attenborough. David Attenborough. 
Oh shit! Terrible. I'm mixing it. No, never mind. My bad. Year by year, You're... this guy's becoming like my favorite human being that's ever existed, man. This dude, man. There is footage of this guy, black <clears throat> footage, doing what he's doing now, but in like the fifties. You know, like, and it's so. It's like it looks like Super Eight, black and white yeah. footage, and he's like over here. You know, and he's yeah. that young. He's like full, of like blonde hair or whatever. And what you're, a legacy. It's like you're just 70 plus years of talking calmly about nature. Yes, I know. And also what what a thing for him that he has kind of remained the same, but the technology has advanced with every single thing he's done. So this yeah. guy's kind of put his flag in the sand and has stayed um, not only relevant, he's like cutting edge. <laughs> like Like every one of his documentaries is like the best footage ever at the time. Yeah, I love it. I have, have a, you... I have a friend who does an incredible David Attenborough impression and he'll pull it out. Like when you're doing something random, like you take a bite of your sandwich and be like, there he goes, taking a bite of his sandwich. <laughs> Shut up, man. <laughs> Josh, have you have you read the new Chuck Palahniuk book? No. Okay, well, it'll make sense if you read it why I'm asking that because you're talking about David Attenborough. David Attenborough. I can't Wait, say his last name. Does he have a story where Attenborough narrates it? He purposely no, he he references Richard Attenborough instead of David Attenborough constantly yeah. on pur- on purpose yeah. to the point where Ross Jeffrey read the book and got infuriated about the fact that he kept calling him Richard. To the and and Ross ended up emailing Chuck's editor. Asking, yeah. like, is this legit? Oh, did he <laughs> actually find out the editor? He did. Oh, dear. <laughs> and come to find out there was a copy editor who got fired because he wouldn't let it go. He kept saying, no, this needs to be Richard, not David. And Chuck's yeah. like, I want it to be David. It's funny. Man, I'm going to write a horror story called Planet Earth, like Planet Earth 94 or Planet Earth 100 or something. And it's going to be he's still doing it. But now he's like 200 years old and it'll be this like ghastly, like gray, wrinkled thing that's still, and really it, 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 it's no different, you know? Oh, I'm going to write so that. him as the Crypt Keeper. Yes. Yes. David Attenborough is the Crypt Keeper. Planet Earth 150. I love it. Put him in the idea file. <laughs> You could do a black <laughs> black mirror episode about that where he's you just keep his uh you know his his digital uh conscious alive. Well he could be kept alive by a bunch of little like animals, a bunch of little microbes and shit that are like keep because they're all like thank you, thank you. And they're all like keeping him alive. Elephants are like blowing oxygen down his mouth, <laughs> like he's like covered in insects that are disease and you know. Yeah, it's, real it's quick. It's done. <laughs> Tyler, jo- when I found out Ross did that, I was like, okay, great. So I thought we had a connection with Chuck and he may not come back on again. Yeah. I was a little <laughs> worried when I was first told that. You guys ready? Oh my God. I thought we were rolling. Well, I mean, we are recording. <laughs> we, we have been. Welcome to Deadhead Space. I'm your host, Patrick Art McDonough, joined always by my friend Brennan Lafargo Faro. Say hello, Brennan. Oh, g- really good try there. Hello, everybody. And our other friend, Candace Noah. Say hello, Candace. Hello. Today, we're joined by two regular, well, f- returning guests. Um, we'll start with Tyler Jones. Say hello, Tyler. Hello. And Josh Mallerman. Say hello, Josh. Hi, everybody. 
you and Clay McLeod Chapman, we got to get you both on because you both are <laughs> funny with that stuff. Um, last time we had Josh on was episode 140, Dark Stars, with John Langan and John F.D. Taff. That was April 1st, 2022. Last time we had Tyler Jones on was episode 200 with Dennis Lehane, April 24th, 2023. Wow, that's I that's a funny coincidence. I, I just realized you were both in April. Um, so I'll start with you, Josh. Since that time, since uh last year, I know you've been up to a lot. You're you're always up to a lot. So what have you what have you been up to since last year? that makes you smile all right so so new year's is my favorite holiday a lot of my friends will be like your favorite holiday must be halloween i'm like i like halloween but my favorite my favorite holiday is new year's because it as it approaches and the night of for for a numbers guy for a guy who like cares about the body of work and what you've done throughout a year it's the ultimate in literally what have i done in the past year and what do I want to do in the next year? So I've been thinking about this lately, a lot actually. And in the last year, and this has felt like a slow year, but in the last year I filmed the documentary of writing a novel and that is being edited right now. So that means I also wrote that novel, filmed the documentary, released Spin a Black Yarn, the book, wrote a nonfiction book, recorded a solo album and put it out, recorded two, two, two or kind of three instrumental albums Released an album with the band, and I and wrote a couple and wrote a few short stories. But that this is the beauty. And when you were saying episode two hundred and this or that, is you'll relate to this. The beauty of you do a little bit every day, and holy shit, the shit add up. Like it doesn't even like time is going to pass either way, right? Like last New Year's to this New Year's, it's going to pass either way. So how do you market? What do you do? In in you. I said like, oh, I did all this in this year. And you'd imagine this furious output in this in this office, some guy like losing his mind. But no, it's been like a steady little bit every day and shit gets done. And and it and I've I've embraced at some point I embraced that philosophy some like 20 years ago and it's just still serving me well. Absolutely. I mean, we're we're recording episode 226 and we've we started in uh in uh May of 2020. So yeah, that that's a lot. <laughs> that's it adds up quickly. Um, I don't want to cut off Candace or Brennan or even Tyler. Does anyone have anything to bounce off of what Josh just said? Actually, um, you know, I want I want to throw it to Tyler with the same question: What have you been up to since uh, you last came on? But I also want to have you piggyback off that idea because the whole idea of putting in a little bit if not every day, as often as you can. Uh, it, that's a conversation we've had a lot. So I, I'd love to hear you just kind of take the ball from Josh and run with it. Yeah. Well, first of all, Josh, congrats. That's a successful year. Um, Thanks. Yeah, I'd add to that. It's weird. Like I look at this year and it's um, it's strange how the things that you look forward to uh, when they pass you by, it, it almost feels like they didn't even happen. It's like, okay, well, what's the next thing to look forward to? Uh, but since we recorded with with Dennis Lehane, I mean, gosh, uh, I've released a novel in Midas. Uh, I just came out with a new book, what, last week called Heavy Oceans, plus the deluxe uh, Thunderstorm edition of my collection, Burn the Plans. By the time this episode comes out, my new novel with Earthling will have been released, and I'm three quarters of the way through another novel. 
So it's like, but I've only come out with, you know, a couple things this year, but the work uh, is getting done. So yeah, same thing, man. So much to be grateful for, so much to look forward to. Um, But yeah, piggybacking on what you said, Josh, and to your point, Brennan, it really is the the small amount of work that adds up. I think some people I've talked to some people who tend to focus on the, the finished product more than they do the process. And I find so much joy in the actual process that maybe it's even a little let down when it's over. Like I'm disappointed to be done with the thing that I've spent so much time doing, whether that's a short story or a novel. So yeah, I'm, I'm in full agreement, whether it's 500 words a day or 5,000, like it all matters. You know, Tyler, in that documentary at some point that I hadn't planned on uh, talking about that in it, but then it struck me when the end was near in the book, exactly what you're saying. I'm like, I'm starting to get a little sad. Like this is, Mm -hmm. this experience is coming to an end. And because sometimes writing a book could feel like, you know, that summer camp thing where you're like, you were like somewhere else for a month. You you were away from mom and dad for a month or whatever the hell it was. Or a movie set can be like that too, where it felt like, you're all these like people like together and like this, this is eternity, but no, it was this, this finite moment in time, this really peaked special moment in time. And every rough draft is like that every single one. And so you get near the end of it and you're like, ah, shit, man, the bus is picking me up and I'm heading back to, to not writing a novel, (laughs) not writing a novel land. (laughs) Right. And there's totally that psychological component of, like you use the word momentum a lot. And even Brennan and I, when we talk about writing, use that word. Like there's a momentum to the writing, like a train leaving the station that it's picking up speed. And finally, like it's rolling down the tracks and you're you're familiar with it. And that takes time to get into and to maintain that level of uh, enthusiasm and momentum. Oh, yeah. and there is that sense of approaching the final station. Like, no, nah, man, I want the ride to keep on going because mm-hmm. you know you're going to have to hop another train at some point and relearn the entire process again. I just experienced that. Well, actually, I am right now with um, a short story that I'm really enjoying. And whether it gets accepted or not, that doesn't, I honestly don't even give a shit because I like this story so much. And <laughs> and it took me, um, you know, it took me like nine years to get to the point of where writing so much and then you just really enjoy the journey and you're really enjoying what you write. It, it took me that long. I don't know about you guys, but um th- that's really interesting to to enjoy the experience and to kind of you know know eventually it's going to end and you'll have another one um candace i would love it if you jump in no <laughs> all right next question <laughs> um actually since you were mentioning um enjoying the journey for josh on this one you had written both fiction and nonfiction this past year and did the documentary also (laughs) which journey i think did you enjoy the most the fiction writing or the nonfiction part of that was there any difference between okay so that yeah no it was huge you know gosh this is a really hard question to answer um because like in my life i've discovered like nothing literally nothing beats writing a rough draft of a novel i can't even i haven't had a kid though so i don't know maybe that does i don't know 
but, it depends on the kid, man. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the nonfiction Candace was so refreshing. Oh my God. And when I'm when I'm saying nonfiction, I'm not talking about like, you know, writing about the history like of the Michigan frontier or something. Oh my God. It, it was yeah. like a it's one night 10 years ago, this one profound night that Allison and I had 10 years ago. That's the whole book is about. Mm-hmm. And to at first it was horrifying and the doc was the same way where at first it was like, okay, I sit down to write and I'm writing. And then I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. Ah, shit. This isn't like Mallory talking. This isn't Guler, the Cape talk. This is like you, like every single sentence, every single thing you write right now is you. And that was, that was, there was a kind of a momentary freak out of like, yeah, you know what? Maybe this isn't for me. I don't know what this is, you know, but then, kind of quickly into it and same thing with the doc quickly into it i found like oh no no, no. Th- this is you though read it back and i'm reading it back to myself i'm like yeah like just almost how i'm talking to you guys right now and i was like no this this is working this is working and once i settled into this like to me pretty foreign voice mm-hmm. um it was one of the most refreshing artistic experiences in my life because i almost it was so refreshing that I can almost see writing another one of these as a reprieve from writing novels. Like you typically at the end of writing a novel, there's gotta be some grace period. I mean, you just wrote an entire book, right? Right. I could literally conceive the next day starting something like this. That's how different the two worlds felt. And that's why your question was kind of like hard to answer because it's really, it was a profound discovery for me how different those were. It should be, it should be easy to, to predict, right? When you're, you're sitting there and every sentence is you. Again, it's not a narrator. It's not Mallory. It's not some crazy cop in the story. It's you. That was a different animal. And I freaking I loved it. So I'm going to answer the question by saying that nonfiction book was, was a really profound experience for me. Now, this is the same night that you were talking about and did the reading on last week with Clay? Yeah. I was on that. I I, I heard that whole thing. Yeah. yeah, that was it. Um, so there was a lot of well, it's nonfiction, so obviously it's all true. How did you do with the rawness of just being one hundred percent of the truth and being that vulnerable to every word that you put about that night and with regards to everything that you read on the reading like did that fluster you at all what happened to be like that raw on the page or did you just kind of embrace it and was like this is me and this is what took place and here Yeah. So, okay. So I read that night. I read from the first like five pages or something. And I may as well just say this. It opens with like a sex scene, pretty much. Allison and I are having sex in the building where the guys once had the office for the evil dead, where the the guys that made evil dead. uh, Sam Raimi and Bruce uh, Campbell. Yep. They grew up like four miles from where I'm sitting right now. So they're like beyond hometown heroes to us. They're like, oh my God. Right. Yeah. They're fucking awesome. An office building. They're in an office building like four miles from where I live, blah, blah, blah. And the book opens with Alice and I are having sex in the bathroom of that building because it doesn't matter. But the point is, I don't think that I've ever had a sex scene in a book before. And, and it didn't strike me until I was writing this. And I was like, wait a minute. 
wait a minute. Like, and I'm starting, starting to go through all the books and I'm like, wait, Mallory's pregnant, but we never, I don't even, I don't even know the name of the dad. And like, and like, we never see how that happened. We assume she did something and on Barry Carroll, there's not, I mean, I'm looking through inspection. There's definitely not. And, and it struck me like, dude, the first sex scene that you're going to write is you. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> I was like, okay, well, wow. all right, here we go. I will say though, to have Allison in the house to like, actually like talk to you about things like, Hey man, do you remember like where we were? Like, you know, uh, but what do you remember uh, how long before we watched the movie? Did we go to this building? Like stuff like that. So to yeah. have her, cause the whole thing is about her and I really, so to have her here was like huge. Otherwise I might've felt like I was like guessing a lot or making a lot of just kind of like, all right, that's good enough. You know what I mean? But yeah. to have her was, was a big deal. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know how well I would do with something that raw, I think. Not yet. I, I don't think I'm quite there yet because I don't know. I just don't know if I'm ready to be that on the page yet. So I just wanted to know like what that whole experience was like, just putting it all out there, like, hey. Here you go. If, if our, how many are how many musicians are in the house right now? How many people like play guitar and so one, two, three. Yep. Not me. But now you okay? But the other three, I would argue it's like most of us have like a wide um, spectrum of music we're into, right? Like mm -hmm. from heavy metal to folk. I mean, we we love it, right? Yes. And so when you're, what the way you're talking right now is striking me as watching Evil Dead felt like. Like the guitar, it was just maybe it was a little out of tune. We just turn, I just plugged it in, turn it on. Here we go, you know. And whereas a novel feels a little bit more like, should we tune this first? You know, like should we make sure that it's in key before we write this? You know. But yeah. what and there was like a rawness to it. But like I love that music, and and so do you. And so, it was fun to make that me or not fun's not the right word. It was rewarding, or it felt fucking good to make that kind of music too. Yeah. So moving over to Tyler on that same, um, the journey for you this year and the different things that you have written. And I just got done reading Heavy Oceans as well. So did, how does your writing change from novel to novel? Do you plan, do you outline each one? Is it a completely different experience for each one, depending on like the headspace that you need? Or do you pretty much stick to like the same type of, this is how I write, I outline, I plot, I do this A, B, and C, and that's it. So how is that? Every project is, is different in the sense that um, how much I know going into it varies for sure mm. um i tend to well at least with the last couple books so with midas and uh this novel i have coming out next year from earthling called night of the long knives both are pretty heavy heavy subject matter and i find that my prose tends to bend to that subject matter in a way that i almost can't control so i i do i want every book the prose to be a little little bit different the the rhythm of the book the rhythm of the story to be a little bit different but the last gosh 
three or four novels that I wrote tended to be heavy. And then I would take, I don't know, all the pent up energy and not that, not that a nov- the novel is slow, but it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Mm-hmm. And then I'd put all of that into a novella that's like, like heavy oceans. That's like pretty bonkers balls to the wall. Just, just let it all out. Just be as weird and chaotic as it wants to be and try to be a bit more restrained and structured for a novel. Just because I think it's a huge investment for a reader. I try to be aware of that. Is what what are you asking of for the reader? Right. You know, and it and it's it's a big deal to get into a novel and invest in the characters and the story and the payoff, hopefully emotionally and um, story wise. So there's that aspect of it. But I'm I'm a total pantser. I have like this this really um, foggy idea of where, where things might go. Mm-hmm. And I've talked about this before, but I, I guess it's, it might be interesting because I don't know of many writers who do it this way. I take extensive notes while I'm writing, but within the document in itself. So mm-hmm. rather, so that I can keep the momentum of a story, I never stop and go back and edit or look over what I've written. But I'll become aware of mistakes that I've made along the way or things I want to add, things I want to change. And so... In the document, I've got what the, the novel that's being written and I'll put notes, you know, some white space and then notes. And I'll just add to those throughout the course of the book so that by the time I'm finished, I end up with thousands of words of notes to myself. Mm-hmm. And then I'll print those up and go through on the rewriting and add all these things in to hopefully tighten it up. Mm-hmm. So I'm learning as I go and then making notes to myself about where it might go and what needs to be there. Yeah, that makes sense. Interesting. Nice. Yeah. And as uh, somebody who read an early version of Night of the Long Knives, it makes me absolutely furious that you're a pantser because it is very, <laughs> it's well plotted, um, or at least that's the uh, impression it gives upon the reading illusion. the final version. <laughs> the illusion, exactly. Thanks so, for saying that, man. Sometimes, yeah, I'll, I'll, sometimes I'll like, Whenever I have something like that, Tyler, anything that needs to be like plotted, I'll like get so frustrated. I'll leave the office. I'll be like, Allison, who do I think I am? Agatha Christie? Like, what? what, 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 what I can't. I don't write this way. Like, Two episodes in a row, we mentioned Agatha Christie. Nice. That's going to be requirements for now on. <laughs> well, it's stuff like that that really makes you appreciate mystery writers. Yes, totally. Like, wow. Yeah. The, the threads that you have to connect, the, the, the breadcrumbs you have to sprinkle yes. along the way. I mean, that's insane. Oh, dude, that woman. Before that I forget, uh, thank you so much for reading Heavy Oceans. I really appreciate it. Do you think she was a pantser? Who? Agatha Christie. She was definitely not a pantser. I don't know. Never I, know that. I don't think so. There's far too many things that need to be connected and need to be consistent. Like, I... Can't even imagine that. Can you imagine if Agatha Christie was on here and she was like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Like, <laughs> if, if she was like, I'm not, I, I just like start with these five characters at dinner. And, and we're like, holy <laughs> shit, man. Well, wow, you really, really works out for you, ma'am. Yeah. <laughs> Based on real events. Brennan, I think you had a, I, you all the more reason, all the more reason that it's probably good that a- Agatha Christie did not live in the podcast era. <laughs> <laughs> or Shirley, the magic Jack- there. Shirley Jackson too because I heard that she's a feisty one yeah oh. you wouldn't have been able to handle her so 
I want to throw out there that the original reason that we opted to try and get an episode together with both Tyler and Josh is because we were planning to really focus on on Midas. And I definitely want to talk about Midas a little bit. But truth be told, there is a uh, gentleman over in England named uh, Neil McRobert who almost made that obsolete because there is a fantastic episode of the Talking Scared podcast that Tyler went on to talk about Midas in depth. And because we always talk a big game about, you know, building up other writers, building up other podcasts. I mean, I, I'm going to refer you to there, check out that podcast, specifically that episode um, and learn everything there is to know about Midas. But what I do want to follow that up with is kind of a two-parter for you, Tyler. Um Number one, having recorded that and let a little time go by, is there anything about the book that you would like to have mentioned on there that you didn't? But also, if the answer is no, I'm fine. Um, how does it feel to have released that episode, gotten such a big push uh, of people excited to read, hearing you talk about the book and be excited to read it? that earthlings sold out of them within days of that episode releasing uh first of all thanks for bringing it up uh secondly no i don't think there is anything um beyond or or, or that i can think of that i wanted to mention you know there was at the time after i, I listened back to that episode and there was something that occurred to me at the time but i thought you know i I'm a big believer in, in allowing things to exist in the moment. And it, it, uh, I'm grateful to Neil for his time and his, uh, gosh, his, just his insight in that episode, um, his graciousness, but yeah, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. It It is a little strange to be talking about or selling a book that is now sold out. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that it's, it, did well by earthling i'm grateful that you know at least 500 people have it in their hands now um but it is strange because it's a book that means a lot to me and now it's that's that's the only version of it that exists for now so i'm i'm hopeful that at some point in the future it can have another home but um yeah it is it is a little odd <laughs> in that sense it's the first time i've been through that because no, most of the time you can say like, here's the thing I've written. Uh, hopefully if it interests you, you'll, you'll check it out. And with this, you can't, unless you can find it on eBay, but don't buy it on eBay. Or double to triple the price. Tyler, yeah, I right. know that feeling with like Ghoul in the Cape. I have that same feeling of like, it's, it's something I'm super proud of and, and all these things. And then it doesn't feel weird to talk about it, but it feels weird. Like, because when you talk about it, you want someone to be able to read it, like to be able to go get it. And I'm like, oh shit, that one's sold out. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you're like, I don't yeah. know what to, what to do there. Although I do have three of them in my office over here. But- Well, you've been through that multiple times. I mean, that happened with Goblin. Yeah. And House Pearl, Under the Lake, right? Goblin, On This the Day of the Pig. House Under the Lake was not limited edition though. That was that was like, uh, whatever. So that wasn't limited. Um, yeah, that was this is hard. Wow, geez. Um, yeah, but then Goblin and Pearl got the wider treatment from Del Rey, and I, I would hope eventually one day go in the cape. I would love to have a 
paperback of that just like this thick man yeah three hundred thousand word paperback come on but i also understand that's a bit of a hard sell although i'm i'm really proud of that book and i know that you are of minus minus is incredible and you you know my my response to what you just said if like let's say you and i are at the bar i'd be like for now it's a limited edition and that's wonderful for for collectors for paul and forever it'll be this limited edition but that book's going to go wide one day wider one day for sure so well thanks man that will definitely happen we'll see see. yeah yeah no i I agree with that it's it's we're going to find a publisher for that uh so if you uh have not gotten over to that talking scared episode you can uh use the hashtag give us midas to uh encourage publishers to pick that shit up (laughs) um actually josh i wanted to throw it to you because your introduction for this was so like for lack of better words genuine like it it just it just felt like you finished the book yelled holy shit and then just kind of (laughs) condensed that into an introduction of you know this book blew my mind and i i you know i i fucking loved it which i think is an exact quote there um so yeah tell us about your experience reading it i mean it from the word go from the opening scene um with the horse was it is it open with the horseless or the with the riderless horse is that how it opens is that the opening scene that's chapter one chapter one before that oh yeah there's a prologue before (laughs) right away though it just had that combination of like mythology western horror um but for me it was like right away it was the voice like from minute one it was the voice and that voice Tyler's writing and like the richness of it. And it's a, to me, it's a combination of like classic, like classic literature and total modern man. And that's, I'm a huge, if somebody can pull that off, you know, in any, in any medium, if you can pull off the, the timelessness and the modernness at the same time. And that book, I mean, that is the epitome of that in subject matter, in writing, in Tyler's outfit right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that one right away, I was like, oh shit, okay, this is amazing. And I had met Tyler in person in Portland. I'm at this awesome place. I can't remember the name of it right now. Um, Edgefield. Edgefield. Yeah. And John he, Skip's favorite place in the world. Yeah. And Tyler was in a booth. Um. And we knew that we were going to meet up. We knew that we were going to see each other that night. And I knew that was him for sure. And he had a a big book with him. And right away, even that night, I was like, oh, this guy, you can just like get a vibe. And the, and the book Midas like mirrored the, the energy or the, the person that I met at that place and played pool with, by the way, which was amazing. (laughs) Um, Where the book, where this, I don't want to ruin anything, where the story went, um, the grief in it, the power in it. It is a heavy book. It's a heavy book. But there's like, I just read The Green Mile for the first time. And I feel like it's actually an apropos sort of comparison in this that it's super fucking heavy subject matter, The Green Mile. But there's something warm about the way he writes in general normally, but write even that book. Midas was a similar experience for me where it doesn't read anything like Stephen King, but it has that thing where it's like, this is heavy. This is grief stricken. This is like greedy. This is ambitious. This is all these things. But some the fucking writing and the and Tyler's voice 
are warm. And and like again, to me, those as like a musician, as an artist, as a writer, that those are the, those are feats to pull off. The uh, so, so, so wait, to, 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 to just yeah. in summation on that. Yes, it was like that, man. I finished the book and I was like, like right away, like writing, writing. I called Paul Miller. Oh, by the way, Paul Miller is unbelievable just for any listener and, and anyone. He's he's one of the greatest people I've ever worked with in any capacity. Um, called him right after, like raving about it, wrote Tyler and then wrote the thing like immediately after. You're, you're right. That is exactly what happened. Yeah. And, you know, not to not to let the introduction overshadow the book because it is a wonderful book it, it, it all the things you said are absolutely true but we've all read introductions that don't quite ring true where it's this person agreed to write the introduction and maybe they liked the book maybe <laughs> they enjoyed the book a lot and they have nice things to say about the book but there is a genuine appreciation, love, and enthusiasm in yours that I, you know, it's three fucking pages long and you read it and you're like, whoa, you know, what am I in for? You're rubbing your hands together and you're itching to get into the prose because you know that recommendation comes, you know, glowing. Yeah, well, I th you know, I think, how do I wear this right? Like, us genre files, us horror files, like we're, we're reading all the time. We're watching movies all the time. And I actually do kind of like, like almost every book I read, I'm, I'm able to find something like good in it or, or, you know, even if it's a book where I'm like, oh my God, that's total sludge fest. I can still like, I can still find like the nugget of inspiration, why the writer wrote it, that sort of thing. And that to me is exciting, almost as exciting as, as if the book was better or blah, blah, blah. Is that like, oh, this is why they wrote the book. I can tell this is why this was the idea. Even if it's a little off center, I can tell. I can just tell. There's like the, like the, 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 the impetus for writing a, a book like glows somewhere inside the book. You can find it. And in the course of all this reading and everything we do, you're going to stumble upon ones that are like, oh, shit, this is the real deal, <laughs> you know? And Midas was that from like, like scene one for me. I was like, okay, wow. Here we go. All right. But I, you know, now you got me thinking about like introductions. Like I'm like, I have like, has there, have I read introductions where I couldn't, I don't know that I couldn't tell if a guy, I believe you, but I don't know that I've ever noticed <laughs> a guy or girl like was there like, um, doo -doo -doo, you know, actually this book has 300 pages. <laughs> <laughs> That's a giveaway. <laughs> yeah. I liked your introduction to dark stars too there, Josh. Thanks. Talk about the elasticity of our. I'm just throwing that out there because we did. I did mention Dark Stars episode. It's a good. It's a great book. Great anthology. So sorry, Tyler. Go ahead, buddy. No, I was just gonna say, Josh. Thank you for all the kind words about that. And you know, there, it, having you write the introduction. I mean, I I think I wrote this to you once, but in person, like it meant so much to me on a personal level. You know, I've been inspired by your work from the day that I bought Bird Box in 2014 when it came out at Powell's books in Portland, Oregon, I, di I didn't even know who you were. I just yeah. saw the cover. It was like, cause I try to keep up with everything that's coming out. And I was like, this looks interesting. Uh, read it, bought it, loved it. Like has had been a fan ever since. And I'm sure you know this feeling how when a writer that you respect and admire writes an introduction in some way, it feels more for you than it does for a reader. I mean, yeah. I know it's a part of the book and I know that it's 
it's for those who are going to read the book as as though you are the uh you know the rod serling for what's to follow like come with yeah. me here's here's the introduction but as the writer i feel like it's it's more for me personally you know and it's something that i've returned to um and it's just a cool feeling you know so thank you for that and thank you yeah. for being part of it oh, i don't yeah. know josh i don't know if you know this but tyler found out about our show because of you indirectly do i have that right tyler yeah way to go josh no. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck did you do now i got no, his phone true, number and true. i won't stop calling the son of a bitch <laughs> yeah uh i'm trying to remember the year um was it 20 josh was, was on season season one so that's 2020 2020 yeah i was looking for for interviews with you yeah, and, and came across the show. That's how it, that's how it all started. Wait, 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 wait. So you started in 2020, and you're at 226 or whatever. Yeah. Wow, dude, he does not know how to fucking am schedule. I, am I doing the math right? That's one a week for four and four years and change. About that. That's There's what breaks in there, man. Sometimes it's three a week. Okay, three times. This week. Okay, all right. Yeah. But an average of one a week, even because right. Let's see, like. Yeah. Uh, 54, uh, 20, 21, 22, 23. Um, right. We're almost at the end of this year. Um, yeah. Wow. We're recording another that's one more as than, soon as we're done here. Yeah. Yeah. That's more than one a week. <laughs> Average. Wow. Yeah. Brennan and my wife uh, get a little irritated at times, to say the least, because this don't pay the bills. So we, we text each other and we talk shit about you almost constantly. Which, who? Me? No, me and your wife. <laughs> oh well, that makes sense. That tracks. So, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the afterword to spin a black yarn, the whole thing. I love it, Josh. It's just coming from your heart. But there's this one hmm. part that I particularly loved, and it says, uh, "You say a shared philosophy that you had with your uh, your agent and one of your closest friends, Ryan Lewis. Burn no bridges. Leave ego out of all collaborative endeavors." and uh sorry and momentum above strategy now that that definitely goes along with everything i know about you it's gotta be and tyler i will come to you to ask this too but uh there's gotta be times when in particular social media because um in a recent interview i heard that you don't speak that language and it makes sense i mean i don't think any of us really should anyways um what this is for you guys to answer for maybe newer writers that have to face what a lot of us face at least in the beginning where it seems like maybe someone's not directly pressuring you but there are pressures that you feel like if you do not listen to people that are very loud about whatever subject matter it is that you're gonna ruffle some feathers how how do you what do you say to newer writers that have that fear might be experiencing it and what is your advice for dealing with negativity in be it a person or an event or anything of that nature so josh then uh tyler wow and you're talking in terms of social media i think social media mainly because that's where a lot of 
that's where a lot of uh well, a couple of things cross my mind right? one is that i i have a tendency to like feel uh, empathy even uh just like for gosh even for everyone i guess um like there's that news i don't even want to bring it up really but there's that story about that girl that is getting in trouble right now for writing those reviews and okay okay and obviously that's terrible and wrong and i'm meanwhile i'm over here in my office thinking like oh my god like what is this this woman like if she had just not done this then there would be no problem and this wasn't a matter of like something you're supposed to do and she failed this is like you didn't have to do this at all and you hurt yourself and but i'm over here saying to myself i hope she's all right and why am mm. i saying that is because i you know if i had fucked up i would never have fucked up in that way but okay i understand if I had fucked up when Bird Box was first coming out and I'm standing at the precipice of being a published author, which is like my absolute dream or fantasy. And if I had like messed that up like that, I don't even know where the hell I'd be at psychologically. So there was a, actually a side of me that's like, yeah, this is, this was totally wrong. <laughs> like obviously wrong. But at the same time, like, I hope she's all right. Yeah, and so sense. I think that... <clears throat> I think that that's one thing that I maybe I would I wouldn't advise a young writer, but I would say like just even when things seem a little obviously wrong, have try to maintain empathy in a general sense here. Another one is it you know a lot of the time it feels like with social media I I this is another like sort of empathetic thing where I hear so much like anger and rancor and, and I wonder because I have novels. I have songs, I have books, I have what we're doing right now to express myself. So then when it comes to social media, I don't necessarily feel the, um, the, the need to express myself in full because I just did so in Ghoul in the Cave. I just did so in uh, watching Evil Dead. And so when I sit down to social media, there's a sense of like, God, I almost need to like force myself to be like more to express more my initial reaction is like just right like haha and someone's like funny thing and like because i'm spending all day expressing myself okay but a lot of the people that are online they don't have that man they don't have books they don't have songs they don't have a friend maybe like allison in their lives who they've wrapped philosophy with all night and so maybe they're over expressing maybe they're over stating something over declaring something because there's a sense this is where i express myself is here so I must do it in full. And that that's the vibe I get from it. It's a very like loud place. Hmm. And that, that implies to me people that that feel like they need to be heard. They need to express some of themselves here. So I would I think that naturally a young writer would already be expressing themselves in their writing and probably be in a good place with that. But the reason I bring it up rather than letting all that negativity or let, let, letting it all feel like negativity, maybe just back up with one step and be like, okay, this is a lot of voices that don't have anywhere else to talk. And so they're all really loud. And, and oftentimes it can get really, really dark and gory and negative. But also keep in mind, they don't have books like you do. Hmm. Maybe not, you know, you, you know what I'm saying? A lot of these people don't. And yeah. so again, it's an empathetic look at it. But I, and then the third thing is this, and this is the last thing I'll say about this. So this, this is something that Allison taught me. God, I freaking, this is like the greatest lesson of my life is that when we first started dating, there was someone in my life, I don't have to name him, who was like being weird to me. And I like was complaining about it to Allison and then like 
the next time our second date, I'm like, I'm telling this, you know, and then she was like, you do realize that this person, how they are with you is how they are with, with everyone. In other words, it's not you. This is who they are with everyone. This is how they talk to everyone. If they're dismissive to you, they're dismissive to everyone. If they're uh, funny to you, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that was like a major life lesson for me in this way. So because you then don't take things personally. If you, if you, you know, you're online and you see the craziest fucking thing you've ever seen, which you, right now, if one of us went right now, we would. And, and within 30 seconds, like, no, 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 it's a guarantee. The five of us split right now and came back. We broke and came back and be like, oh my God, did you see this? But her point was, hey, dude, that person that you're like, oh, oh my God, it's up, you're in arrears, you're so upset. No, that person's like that with everyone. Oh, okay. Let them be that. You are you. These all sound like empathetic things, but I feel like that's, to me, that's a wiser approach than trying to either join or, I guess, battle that negativity. I mean, it, it also sounds like self-preservation because that's the only way you're going to survive this world, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I do. I Sorry, Brian, Real quick before we... No, that's okay. Real quick, before we throw it to Tyler, I, I do love that you started off with kind of pointing out that uh, person with the reviews. And for anybody listening in the, uh, <laughs> any later than today, when this is already blown over, uh, we're referring to this thing where uh, an author had signed up to have a, her, her debut is coming out through Del Rey mm. in 2024, and she got caught creating a bunch of like fake Goodreads accounts to review bomb other people who were coming out with books around the same time. Um, I think that, you know, what you brought up, Josh, is a, is a really good point of just understanding that we don't always see the full picture. Like maybe this girl is a bad person. That's certainly right. how she's being painted. Maybe She's young and she got some bad advice. I have no idea how old she is. She could be 20. She could be 40. But maybe she got some advice like, hey, you know, you just got signed to this monster deal. Your book is coming out. It's going to be in every bookstore in the country. You don't know what the fuck to do. Um, you know, maybe she listened to the wrong person and just got swept up in some bad information, made a silly mistake like we all did in our early 20s, in our if not our teens. Um and is now going to pay for it because Del Rey did drop the book. Um, but it's, I don't know. It's, it's, I, I think it does require that we look at, you know, these social media situations and say, we don't know the whole person and we can't know the whole person. Um, we can only see what they're putting out there. And, you know, to your second point, the idea, I, I love the idea that it's, an outlet like um you know we can we don't need to put all this shit on there because we we have another outlet this is just you know let me shout about my books and laugh at things every once in a while versus somebody who maybe doesn't have that alternate outlet and feels the need to put everything on social media maybe put things that they don't even believe on there in order to kind of get that same reaction um Man, that's a whole conversation. And if I yeah. let it go down the spiral, yeah, dude, we'll waste a lot of time. It. Think about <laughs> it. You were talking about doing, and you are talking about this whole other episode about Midas, and you're talking about doing Midas here. Do you know how much, how rewarding that is for Tyler? Like, 
like how rewarding, like not only does he have the book that people are reading, but we also, we're here talking about it. I mean, there's so much, what a feeling. And so now imagine someone that doesn't have that. I mean, okay, my mom doesn't have that. My brother doesn't have that, whatever. They got different things in their lives. But then you start seeing like, oh, right. This feels like a room full of people that don't have another outlet. Right. I guess to bring it back to the beginning of this show, why it was created was I read a whole lot of books on when I realized in 2013, hey, I want to be a novelist. Well, I, re I read a bunch of books on like, what should you do? And one advice that I forget most of it, but one, one advice that always stuck out to me, one piece of advice was that um, you can't just write nowadays if you want to eventually make it. I want to be a full-time writer like you, Josh, one day, whenever that is. And you can't just write. You have to promote. You have to, even if you're at the highest level, even if you're working with Del Rey or, you know, Pantheon Books or uh, Harper Collins, one of the big boys, um, you have to do a lot more than just be a writer um, for most people. So that's why eventually I came up with the podcast. I'm like, you got to have something to stand out. And luckily I had a friend named Brennan to join and eventually Erica and then Candace. And, you know, it, it just, I'm throwing that out there to kind of say, here's an example, like you, just be yourself. Cause that's all we've done is be ourselves. And that's how, that's all you've done, Josh and, and Tyler, which I wanted to say earlier, all the praise about that book Midas is a mirror. It's a reflection of, of you, Tyler. Yeah, for sure. Cause you said it to me before and you made me cry through text, you son of a bitch where you said that, <laughs> that uh, I'm acting tough. So I don't cry again, but um, cause he said that the show's a reflection of, of me and he had, he had a whole lot of nice stuff to say. So I am saying that it's the same thing with you and in, in your books. Um, so enough about that, Tyler, you jump in and I'll repeat the question if you want me to. <laughs> no, that's cool, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, like Josh, a lot of what you're saying about the social media, I think, is um, philosophical in nature. And I think that to to add to that, man, I'm with you on the empathy thing. I'm 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 made the same way. I feel empathy for nearly everyone, and I think a lot of people have that ability. I mean. Look at uh, the fascination with like serial killers. Like people can find ways to empathize with somebody who have done, someone who has done the absolute worst things a human can do. And yet when it comes to another normal person on social media, they just lose their minds over the smallest things. It's a weird imbalance that we have where we're able to empathize with certain types of people, but not with others. And I think that we would be a lot better off if we could just apply that to just humans in general. But, um, you know, thinking about what you said about people maybe not having a book, like on a real practical level for writers using social media, whether you're just starting out or whether you're established, I, th I think that there's, um, at least how I perceive it, there can be this danger in wanting to have an identity online for mm. this undefined audience of followers and so it it tends to morph and it tends to lean towards anger or 
frustration. And I mean, we've all seen the post, you know, random people just putting some grievance online for all to see. And you're like, who is this directed at? And what was the point of this other than to flip that switch in somebody who sees it? Like, get angry with me. Let's be angry together. And I think that that can be mistaken for relevance is like, I'm having engagement with my my anger, so therefore it's relevant. I I've I've talked to a couple starting uh, starting out writers who have actually posed this question. It's like a it's a modern question. How do you navigate that? Like I don't know, but my answer is really simple. It's always, you know what? I don't I don't use social media like some people do. I don't scroll ever. So to me, it's like it's a fine place because <laughs> I, I check up on some friends and that's about it. I do not scroll. So I miss just about everything. Um, also, I don't, I, I will never post anything that um, I don't post just to post. And I think that that's, an, that's another thing that I would encourage, like starting out writers. Don't feel like you have to post something every day to be relevant. You're not being relevant. You're just posting something that's that's worthless and i firmly believe that everything that we do no matter what it is is an act of creation how you live your life the choices that you make how you treat other people and how you write and how you love your your partner and your kids and your dog like everything is an act of, you're creating a life worth living so i i try to apply the same principles to social media that i would to writing a book is this good does this need to be there? Is it the best that it can be? Does it is it the best reflection of me that I'm putting out into the world? If the answer is no, then I'm not going to post it because it's all an act of creation to me. So that I, I would I would encourage and advise anyone to think of it in those terms because you can avoid a lot of heartache. You're going to come with philosophical bombs like that. We're we're supposed to be talking about heavy oceans and spin yeah. about, uh, spin a black yarn and. <laughs> no, I, I it's interesting because in a way you sound like man i wish you're in this office with me um you sound i guess you are uh you sound like you're um like we've like you and i well all of us but you and i are like characters that we've created as well like if everything you do is creation right then it's like like and you brought up the idea of identity as well in social media and it's like we are actually characters and there are things that do not jive with my character. You know what I mean? One of them is just, I don't know. Like, you know, I was talking to Jonathan Jans the other day and I was like, what if I went tomorrow on Twitter and posted, man, I freaking love this place. Every time I come here, I feel so inspired, vivified and full of life. Thank you, everyone. And then that was it. I asked him, what, what do you think the reaction of that would be? And he was like, number one, I think some people would get mad at you. <laughs> Undoubtedly so. And then he goes, he goes, number two, most people would think you were joking. And I was like, right. So think about that for a second. We are at a party right now where if I said, hey, everyone, this is a great time. Everyone would be like, who the fuck is this guy? Well, that makes me feel like I got to leave that party. That makes me feel like there's got to be a better party going on next door. It's like, you know what I mean? Even if it's just me and one dude, like, sitting outside talking, like, because because of that thing. But, yeah, the identity thing, that one really resonated when you just brought that up, is that there's a sense of 
and and here's the reason my favorite bands, you know, like the Beatles and these kind of bands are because there's so many different moods. So many, there isn't like, a, like Adele almost has like a singular mood to me, but the Beatles have so many different moods. Yeah. And, and a lot of bands from that earlier era had like, it's not just ballad or rock song. We're talking like from the cutesiest little dinky thing to like the most serious lyrics and, and everything between blah, blah, blah. And I, I look for that in art. I look for that in, in novelists. Or, or or at least I'm excited by it in novelists and artists, filmmakers, everything. Range of emotion, of mood. And I think you're right. I think that online, some a lot of times people think that I need to be, this is my identity here. My identity here is I am this kind of person here. Even if that's like a goofy one, not just a negative one. And it's like, but I'm not always goofy. Sometimes I'm thorny. Sometimes I'm funny. Sometimes I'm boring. Sometimes I'm like not. Sometimes I'm full of energy. Some, and I don't think that it, social media there's room for it but i think that we all sort of fool ourselves into thinking we're supposed well now i'm in social media character yeah i remember whoever the fuck this guy is you know yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 so that that resonated with me that whole identity thing and i would that's interesting i would i almost wish that i could just touch like all of the minds of, of everyone on twitter at once and be like hey you can be you can you can express many moods it doesn't have to be just a singular identity here all of you could be or none of you yeah. You know, the best relationship advice that I ever got, and it's not just like marriage or romantic relationship advice, it applies to friendship and coworkers and children, is if there's something that you wish was different about someone, or like say it, uh, you know, it always bothers you, like when your kid doesn't take out the trash or your spouse. <laughs> leaves an empty milk jug in the fridge to say, Hey, you know what? I really appreciate it. When you uh, take out the trash, it really means a lot when you, when you do this thing, like it sounds so, so cliche and stupid, but it's speaking into existence, the best part of somebody, you know, like rather than hammering on the negative, you find, like you were saying about a book, how you love every book because you can find something in it, the thing that glows. You find that thing that glows and you nurture it. And that's that's what, that's an act of creation in itself. And and to do that with, with ourselves even, to like, how can you be honest as a writer if you're not honest with yourself? And honesty with yourself is like, oh man, here's an area where I suck. Here's an area where I could improve. Here's where I failed today and I should have done better. I'm gonna try not to do that tomorrow. You can take that honesty and put it into the work and into the creation and into relationships. So yeah, in terms of like creating a character, I think we all want to be someone better than what we are. And so then what does that look like reflected on an internet space or in a friendship or a relationship? Like it, it, like you're saying, it can't be just one thing online. Well, we, I mean, we contain multitudes. So to to make sure that the the reflections of ourselves in the world, whether it's art or whether it's a post online, does reflect the best version of ourselves. Maybe not that we are, but that we want to be. A future version of ourselves. I thought Absolutely. you were going to say mic drop, uh, Candace. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> And now you're going to go to me and want me to follow that very heavy, very apt moment there. Great. Thanks, you are Brennan. correct. 
Yep. All right. Well, <laughs> I agree with pretty much everything the dude I'm had to say about social media. As the dude, you know, like I am pretty much me at all at all times when I'm out there, which is basically choose kindness, compassion, have a great day on purpose. Like be intentional about what you say and what you do and how you treat everyone around you because you know you don't know you there are two sides to every single story and we don't know so you know that's my whole thing online offline in my real life in my writing life in my facebook life this is just me like this is how i choose but with all of that being said and trying to somewhat move away from social media because I think we can, we could do that for another hour and a half. And we are here to talk about the two of you and your recent books. Um, I'm going to flip it to Josh and Spin a Black Yarn. Um, Wow, lots to unpack there. Loved it. But since I do know we're running into the tail end of our time here, if you had about two minutes to pitch the collection to a new reader, Josh, what do you say? And good answer. <laughs> uh, well, it is five. Is it five? I think it is five novellas. Yeah, five, yeah. five novellas that um take place in this the fictional in or around the fictional city of Sam Hatton, uh, which is near the fictional city of Goblin. And Goblin was another collection of novellas um, of mine. Uh, Sam Hatton is a colder place, less colorful place than Goblin. And while that may be less appealing at first, that also provides for colder scares. And, and, uh, 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 and the stories are less about obsession and more about like deeds a lot of goblin is about characters that are obsessed with something and this book feels more about things that people have done and whether or not there's um repercussions for those or not uh i don't know how i would pitch it other than to say that i am happy with the fact that none of the two stories are very not that similar i mean there's there's themes that kind of thing that must obviously um go through them all or go through each whatever but they're they're dramatically different in how they're told, in um, uh, time period, in the distance between sci-fi and horror. Um, so there's a lot of range in here, I would hope. And you know, the first horror movie I ever saw was Twilight Zone the movie, and the second one was Creepshow, and the third one was Creepshow too. So I, my introduction to this genre was anthology segments that were completely unrelated. But by putting them between the same covers or on the same, under the same title in a movie, it unifies them in a way that to me says, hey, here's one example of how elastic the genre can be. And, you know, Twilight's on the movie. I mean, it literally was the perfect first movie for me to see the range from the Steven Spielberg heartwarming tale like oh horror can be warm to the scary like monster on the airplane to anthony anything with his mind to the social commentary skit to the wraparound horror mm -hmm. and i would hope that spin a black yarn also like pulls that off that it that it has like range and then if a 
a younger reader read it, they'd be like, oh, wow, anything can be horror. And I don't mean anything, meaning like the toaster could be, yeah, that, yeah, that too. But I mean like tone of voice and, and, and that kind of thing. So yeah. I would hope this kind of black yarn like ignites that fire in, in a reader. Thanks. I would agree that you nailed it. Um, it's a great range. I just loved it. Um, I you. had one in particular that I <laughs> absolutely loved. But um, which one? Um, Archive. Oh, yeah. Awesome. But that one loved it. Just completely loved it. Um, but we can talk about that more later. Let's get into Tyler and Heavy Oceans. So that was a ride. So same question for you. Two minutes, if you had to pitch that to somebody new to your work, what do you say? I would say it's, uh, it's a short novel of deep sea terror and cosmic horror about a group of four men who find something uh, absolutely terrifying at the center of the ocean. Uh, and it's for people, for readers who, it's like the opening of an X-Files episode before Mulder and Scully come to investigate. It's the thing they come to investigate. Oh, wow. All right. Nice. nice. That is that a great, great pitch, pitch, man. And I'm going to read man. Could you? <laughs> Sold, yeah. Tyler, after this, could you send me a pitch for Spin of Black Yarn? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even I'll send you my, Yeah, man. <laughs> no, because that kind of made me want to read it all over again. Like, yeah. yeah, right. yeah that was <laughs> sweet. Yeah, that was a good one. That's spot on, too. Um, okay. So with that, and we're talking about the books because we didn't get a chance to really get into that too much. I do want to ask my one other question that I like to ask about these. Um, Tyler, we'll start with you since we are on the heavy oceans one because I think Josh's is going to be a little bit more involved too. So with yours, since it was a singular story, did you have a character in the novel that resonated with you the most or that you found the the hardest to write and if so who who was it and why yeah the 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 two main well there's four primary characters and two of them are brothers um i've always had a fascination with brothers i don't have any blood brothers i i have uh, two stepbrothers but I've always been fascinated by the idea that you can have two people who are raised in the same house in the same environment who turn out totally different so they've mm. had the exact same childhood the, the exact same experiences and um, you know one can be absolutely crazy have broken relationships and the other can be totally stable and that's always yeah. been like just at a psychological level really interesting to me so uh, Jamie Fletcher is the main character of Heavy Oceans, and um, his brother's name is is Eric, and Eric's the more aggressive, violent, wild one, and Jamie's trying his best to be stable, but um, I think that the, his childhood has broken him a little bit more than he expected. So I um, I empathize with both of those characters, and I like writing Jamie. I, I wanted him to do well. I wanted to mm -hmm. see him do, be okay. And um, Eric was a little bit challenging simply because um, 
he is a little bit more aggressive in in nature and that's not yeah. um that's not me so you kind of have to you know how that goes i mean yeah. you know when you write somebody who tends to be a little bit more violent and uh lash out in anger uh yeah so that was a little bit challenging for sure yeah. all right josh so you have five here so <laughs> Rather than asking for a character from each one of them, could you pick one out of all that you found the most difficult to write or that resonated with you the most out of all five of the stories? I loved writing Igorov. I love, and I know that I, I don't look at reviews online, but I'm assuming that Igorov's got to be most people's least favorite story. It's super <laughs> slow. It's crazy. It's, but I loved, loved writing that dude, man. And I, like, I, I could have, that his story could have been three times as long. I lo just loved being with him. Um, But in terms of like, like actually resonating, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, it's, what am I going to say, Sean from Argyle? I mean, that's a, that's that's a tall order, man. You know, that, that was autobiographical. Um, but I can resonate with him, like in a sense of like, I didn't want, I don't want to do the things that he wanted to do, but in the sense <laughs> of, of, I I I guess in my life it would be like, try, hey man, try to try to maintain, try to remain a gentleman through this chaos. You know what I mean? In his life, it's like, hey, try not to kill anybody, right? <laughs> And so I related to that aspect of it, not repressing yourself because there was a good idea for him to do that, but checking yourself. I, I did relate to him on that. The hardest one, I mean, Doug and Judy were a little hard, man. There were moments where I was like, you fuck these two, man. Like that one moment when uh, Doug realizes or at least says how Judy ruined that one woman's career for no reason. And Doug's like, wait a minute. But that's not that's not on the left. She wasn't on the ladder, meaning we're allowed to step on anyone on the ladder, Judy. But that woman, she she wasn't in our way. Yeah. That would you just ruin someone on the side? You know, like you just want like like at that moment in the story, I was like, oh man, these two, these two suck, man. Yeah. yeah. But obviously that was really fun to write, right? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I had to put my headphone, my earbud in when I was listening to that. Um because my little guy was my four year old was in the kitchen. <laughs> like, oh, there's uh, too many uh, fucks in this one. Yeah, a lot of effort. Yeah, but on I, the flip side, uh, with, with, with Doug and Judy and with Argyle, like we can see the smile on your face when you're writing those stories. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, awesome. Yeah, I uh, just realized that uh, Argyle is like a metaphor for what we were talking about with yeah. uh, social media. And being yeah. creating a character. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't even put that together. Yeah, because I mean, I think we all have those that thought process. Like, I really want to say this right now, but I can't. I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't. It would feel good, but I know I shouldn't. I know I can't. And you yeah. gotta take that breath and take a step back. And I think that's natural for all of us. Now, Sean, obviously, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> takes it to the extreme. But I think that's why I like that one so much because he was just putting it all out there like, listen, this yeah. is what I've been thinking and this is what I've been dealing with. And yeah, I wanted to do that to you too. And it was just, yeah. 
<laughs> no, but could you imagine if one of us just like let it all out there and just told everybody around us that all these thoughts that we've had throughout life about them and was just like, well, I never told you, but did you know? Like, I, I just, yeah, I just like that one because that thought, I have a lot of those thoughts. I mean, you know, but you have to check yourself. You got to rein it in, but like, okay, you know, I can't say that. But yeah, I think. <laughs> I think that's why I liked it so much because he was like, I'm done. And I don't have to hide who I am anymore. I don't have to not say this anymore. And I'm going to tell you people who I really am. And yeah, yeah, it was great. Yeah, it struck me recently, somebody was talking about Argyle and it struck me that I can't remember his son's name, Andrew. I think it's Andrew. And, and somebody pointed out to me that the daughter, Margaret, seems really upset about it, but Andrew doesn't seem so upset about it. <laughs> they were like, is Andrew also like this? And I was like, oh, yeah. Yes. He was just really fascinated. Like, yeah, he just seems straight up like, oh, wow, dad. Whoa. Whereas, things I never knew. Yeah, things I never knew. <laughs> That's kind of awesome, dad, actually. <laughs> You're cooler than I thought. You're way cooler. You know? yeah. So can I ask, I got one question that i'm going to relay and it's from jonathan jans because yeah. I, wow. I messaged i messaged him earlier it made sense just to ask him if he had a question for y'all and he said here's one for josh how does it feel to be sitting on one of the scariest books ever written and to know that book is coming out next year i have no idea what he's talking about which book it is so i don't know what you can talk about as far as that goes but it piqued my interest wow First off, that is awesome. And he wrote that. Um, it's called Incidents Around the House. Oh, I saw uh Clay McLeod Chapman um got that delivered yeah. to him. Nice. Yeah. And I like the um, cover, man. Well, that's just uh that's like a um what do you call it? That was just what I used on the rough draft. Ross Jeffrey made that for me to just use for the rough draft. Oh but nice. I, I love it too though. But anyway, um that's the book that Ross and I were sending each other ten thousand word installments of mm. i've never done that before but we'd love to do that again um because it felt like you were almost like performing for some for a fellow writer it almost felt like you were writing uh serializing it for a fellow writer mm. so instance around the house comes out next year um i should be getting like real like proper cover art for it soon i can just tell you this much is that my younger brother 13 years ago my younger brother was uh putting his uh, kid to bed for the night. And then the kid, my brother and his wife were at the door to the room and the kid was, I want to make sure I have this right. The kid was like, good night. And then Ryan and Alyssa were like, good night. And then the kid was like, good night. And then they turned around and they're like, Elliot, you already, you already said good night. And then Elliot was like, I'm saying good night to other mommy. And Ryan, Ryan called me and told me that story. And I was like, Yikes. I'm like, you're, you, are you outside? You're not in the house anymore, right? You know, he's like, dude, come on. It's a, it's a kid. I'm like, no, 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 no. You're still in the house right now. You got to get out of the fucking house right now. You know? So for like 13 years, I've been talking to Ryan. Like I'd be, I'd say like, I'm talking, I'm saying goodnight to other mommy, you know? And I'm like, man, I got to write this fucking book, whatever this is. I got to write this fucking book. And then 13 years later I did. So incidents around the house, I'll just say that, that story was the, the inspiration for the entire novel. Wow. <laughs> Holy shit. That sounds amazing. So we're going to wrap this up now. 
where can people follow you? Tyler, go first, sir. All, all the normal places at uh, T Jones Writer and my website, tylerjones.net. Josh. I say just come over to my house and let's do a shot together, man. I don't I don't know how much longer I'm gonna last on social media, man. <laughs> You're the Candace. Um Twitter, Blue Sky, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, uncomfortablydark.com, and under my name. So I'm right. Uh, you can follow me at Josh's house. I'll be doing shots. Yeah, man. <laughs> I'm saying. Oh, I will say this. My website for this is exciting. This is an announcement. My website has a novel on it that I wrote live as or as live as you can write, I suppose, a novel. Um, called Carpenter's Farm. But just today, I signed the special edition, limited edition with Paul Miller for Carpenter's Farm to come out in physical awesome. form. Nice. Yeah. So Excellent, man. Congrats. Congratulations. Um, yeah, that is exciting. Long time coming for that one. Uh, we're going to do final thoughts. Same order. Tyler Jones. Final thoughts. Caught mm-hmm. me off guard there. <laughs> I still think I was thinking about Carpenter's Farm. I uh Paul Paul told me about that a couple weeks ago and that you guys were working towards that and I was just so thrilled that it's fine it's getting the earthling treatment deluxe edition physical it's going to be awesome man so congrats on that. That's my final thought. Congrats to Josh. That's fair. And, and to Paul. Josh. My final thoughts but I swear uh before you said that we're also towards you which is hey listeners uh, we've been talking about Midas a lot, but honestly, it is, it's what you're looking for when you're looking for greatness in the genre and from the pacing to the thinking behind it, to the emotionality. And we've said it's heavy and, and this kind of thing, but like I mentioned before, it's, it, yes, it's heavy, but it, but it's also so well done that it's inspiring also in, in that way as well. So my final thoughts are like everyone really, whoever, if you can, or whatever way you can do it. Check out Midas. Brennan. Um, I don't know what we were thinking, trying to do a Tyler Jones, Josh Mallerman episode in like 90 minutes. We needed at least three hours. Um, <laughs> I would say pick up Spin a Black Yarn. It's awesome. I would say if you can get your hands on Midas, even if it costs like $210 on eBay, get it. Uh, or wait for it to get picked up by a traditional publishing house because it absolutely will mm. go for it um in the meantime check out heavy oceans it's out from dark lit press it's out now uh and it's a fucking ride um I can't wait. yeah man you'll love it you will absolutely love it uh beyond that thank you both for your time always appreciated thank you Candace. Um, echo everything that Brennan just said for the most part, because that's what I was going to say. Thank you for your time. Of course, everybody out there, just go and pick up Heavy Oceans and Spin a Black Yarn and everything else these two men have ever written in life. Um, yeah, so that's about all. And, uh, Tyler, you know how we feel about you, buddy. I always love having you on. Josh, you two men, you both are truly gentlemen on and off air so it's a pleasure to get to know y'all and have you guys say some wonderful advice that i would certainly appreciate if i was newer to the scene um 
listeners two very vague teases but next season we're gonna have tyler on with a guest we've wanted to have on for a long time he's beloved and uh if you know who tyler's favorite author is then you know who it'll be can't announce it yet though so jody pico nailed it and then as far (laughs) as i got a fun tease and uh josh gave me the green light on this Josh will be in my next anthology that I'm editing with Joe and Keith Lansdale. Uh, it's going to be announced in January. So a month from when this comes out, it's exciting as hell. Big table of contents that's um, many of you will probably love. So stay tuned for that. Next episode is episode 227 with Paula D. And as always, you have many choices in podcasts. Thank you for picking us. Oh my God, I thought we were rolling.